Do you believe He's holy? Do you believe the whole world should know? And I'll tell you something, I thank God there's a whole lot of churches on this planet to reveal that, but shouldn't we live like it all depends on us? Let's make sure the world knows He's holy in this place. You might remember if you were here last week that we concluded our service, we'd moved a lot of stuff out, but you know what? We can't have church without a pulpit. Not because of the preacher, but because of what that pulpit stands for. It stands for the Word of God. Do you know this church, listen to me, has nothing to communicate but the Word of God. We have nothing to offer people but the Word of God. So before we can continue, we've got to bring that pulpit back in. Now when the pulpit got back, back packed up, it got jostled in the move, and it came out of the box different than it went in. As you can see, it's come out just, just a little differently and this one, it turned into, it looks like glass. How is the preacher supposed to hit that? It's going to... Yeah, watch the ring, yeah. Y'all remember when Daryl Dawkins brought that backboard down? Yeah, you remember that, don't you, Steve? You're old. <laughs> i tell you something else that's happened neat here this week, folks. When we left last week, a whole bunch of Bible fellowship classes came down here. And all afternoon... They, they walked throughout this building, different parts of the building, praying. And, and we filled the walls, we filled this building with the prayers of God's people. And then Thursday at 5 o'clock, we took this Bible right here that I'll be preaching from today. Uh, we took this Bible and we began reading through it out loud. I think we got through it almost two full times. We read through it in 48 hours. Uh, to my knowledge, I have to ask again, I don't think we had a single person not show up for 48 straight hours and 30 minute increments. Different people came, they signed the Bible, they picked up wherever the last person left off and the Bible moved, it was on a little podium, it moved to various different locations throughout the building because we wanted to fill every bit of this building with the Word of God. All of that took place before we entered this place today to fill it with the worship of God. A lot of important things to fill this place with on the first day, isn't there? And God's people have been faithful. Thank you so much uh, for being a part of these things. You know, as we prepare, and we are preparing, you realize this isn't the opening. The, the, the grand opening is May 18th. We're just trying to figure out, you know, where the bathroom is and how to turn on the light switch. We've got to get used to this place as a family. And, and you know, one question I've got on my mind, one thing you need to be asking yourself is, what are they going to see? What, what are they going to see when they get here? You know, for some of them, maybe for a good number of them, man, they're going to see bigness, aren't they? The, the, the building, the room, the concourse out there, and it's huge. And I used to sing something like that necessarily in, in a church. I, I think when they come in here, they're going to see, don't y'all think? They're going to see the slide. Aren't they going to see that slide out there? Now, when I say they, I don't mean any children. The children can't see the slide because they can't see it through all the adults who are playing on the slide. Okay, so we're going to have to come up with a new list of rules. All right, we've seen more adults than children on that. How about the youth center? Man, if you haven't seen that, you need to see it. Make you want to be young again. Not that that'd be the only reason, but I tell you what, the youth center is one of the coolest places on the whole campus. They're going to see that. That's going to stand out. You know, I think when they get here, I think they're going to see people. They're going to see a lot of people. Here again, maybe, maybe more people than they're used to. Maybe more people than they're comfortable with when they enter a church. Especially since all those people bring um, cars. We won't get into that issue right now. You know, when they come, they're going to see that we've spent a lot of money, aren't they? And, and you know, I mean, honestly, if we're being honest, 
That, that can be taken kind of positively. It can be taken negatively. Boy, I hope, I hope when they see that and they're trying to figure out what did that cost and that over there and they're trying to add it up and it costs $21 million. You don't have to add it up. I hope when they see that, what they see, that, that's just what we believe our God is worth. It's what we believe the ministry is worth. You know, when they get here, they're going to see things they don't like. And we need to be comfortable with that, don't we? I mean, a little reminder here, this is not heaven. It's a building on a fallen planet. Nothing on this planet is perfect. There'll be things we find done wrong, things we should have done and didn't do, things we didn't do and should have. I mean, it's, it's not perfect. Some of those things may stand out. But folks, whatever people see, whatever stands out, however they interact with it, I believe, and I think you do too, that God's given us something that people are going to want to come and see. And since they are coming, since they are going to come and take a look, then that makes a burden on us to ask the question, what does God want them to see? Because I'm pretty sure it's more than the size and the slide. And if we need to know, if we need to be asked the question, what does God want them to see? Isn't that the same as what we want them to see? Because we don't want them to see anything God doesn't want them to see, do we? Now, folks, when I say what we want them to see, we need to think about that. Let me be clear. By we, I mean you. I love saying that to my staff. We need to do this, and I mean you. <laughs> but, folks, I do mean you. Whether you've been a member here for 32 years or 32 days. Maybe you're here every time the doors are open and sometimes when it's not. Maybe you're just here once every three or four weeks. I want to tell you something. If you are a member of this church, God knows it. And if you are a member of this church, that makes you, yes, us as a family, but it also makes you as an individual a recipient of this building God has given. And you have a responsibility for what people see. Folks, we need to actually imagine. I don't know when it's going to happen for me or for you or for all of us. You need to imagine today standing before the living God and giving account for what you did with this place. Giving an account for what they saw through you. I think that's a pretty big thing to be thinking about. And so I'm going to take today, as a matter of fact, I'm going to take more than today. I'm going to take all the way up to grand opening to, to preach a series on the kind of things that we should be wanting them to see when they enter into this place. And I'll tell you where I'm going because the last sermon in this series is going to be the same as the first sermon in the next series. Because the last sermon in this series is going to say, we want them to see Jesus Christ. Because we've got nothing to offer in this building but Jesus Christ. And if we offer them anything, if we offer them everything under the sun but Jesus, we've missed the mark by eternity. We are here to show them Jesus. And that will launch us into a 19-message study out of the book of John where we're going to spend the rest of this year seeing, looking, focusing, concentrating on the person of Christ. Because we want to make sure that as we start this ministry here, that is its foundation to show people Christ. Now, until we get to that moment on May 18th, there are a number of other things 
we want them to see when they get here. Things we need to be praying about, preparing for, thinking about. Things I need to be looking into my own life and see if they're going to see it in me. And I'd like to suggest, first of all today, folks, that when they get here, we want them to see God's glory. Would you turn and look with me this morning at Exodus, Exodus chapter 40, Exodus, second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. If you don't have a Bible with you, I promise you, you will not find it in the pew, but you will find it in a chair. Not every chair has one, but underneath the chairs in it, that drop of that chair kind of comes down. You kind of have to look like this, but but you'll see some chairs with Bibles in them. And I would imagine if you would just kind of point at one, somebody around you will get the hint and, and hand it to you. We want everybody to be able to have a copy of the scriptures opened up as we study God's word today. Exodus chapter 40. I'm going to begin reading in verse 34. Exodus 40 verse 34 says there, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Israelites set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and there was a fire inside the cloud by night visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. Boys, we open up the book of Exodus. We open up and read some of the stories that are maybe most well known throughout all the scripture. You may not even be a very regular reader of the Bible and you'll know some of these stories. Boy, when we open up Exodus, we, we read about Moses before that burning bush. When we think about Moses, we see Moses before the Pharaoh and those ten plagues that come on the land of Egypt. Oh man, I guess maybe the granddaddy of them all. We think about Moses standing there before the Red Sea as God parts it. And Moses leads two million people through it. Man, some of the best, some of the most exciting stories in the Bible, all in that first half, that first 20 chapters of Exodus. But the latter half, I don't know that that's always as well known. Now, to understand the latter half of, the, of Exodus, you've got to understand what's happened. I mean, see Moses, see two million people and God coming through the Red Sea, and now they're on the other side. There's God, two million people, and a desert. Now what? <laughs> well, we got a problem. There, there's a real issue now that we're out here because we have a holy God. Boy, hadn't it, that, that been sung to us beautifully today? We have a holy God who wants to live among us. But here's the problem. We're not holy. There is a holy God that wants to dwell and reside and live among unholy people. Well, folks, for that to happen, some things have to change. For, for a holy God, for you and I as unholy people to enjoy his presence, to, to reside in his presence, to, to have fun in his presence, something's got to change. And the latter half of Exodus is what unfolds that for us. It starts off by saying, you know what, there's going to be a standard. If you're going to live in my presence, if you're going to enjoy my presence, there's going to be a standard. You and I know that standard in Exodus chapter 20 as the Ten Commandments. 
God says, if we're going to live together, let me tell you something. You need to worship me alone. God's not being selfish. God's not being self-centered. He's doing us a favor because you know that you and I, gosh, we'll worship anything and everything. And it'll carry us right into the grave. So God's doing us a favor when he says, man, you know what? There's only one thing. There's only one thing worthy of your heart and your worship, and it's me. That's a standard. You know, if we're going to live together, you're going to have to respect my name. You know what? If we're going to live together, I got news for you. You can't lie to each other anymore. And if if you want me living like as a neighbor, you know, right next door to you, you can't lie to each other. And you know what? You, You need to be you need to be faithful to your marriage. You need to respect that and honor that. You, you know those Ten Commandments. And, and really, God gives us that in chapter 20, but the next 20 chapters just kind of unpacks those. It expands on them, it elaborates them, it explains them for us. And that's what the latter half of Exodus is doing. doesn't get quite the attention that the first half does, but you know what? The latter half's more important to us. Now, God does one other thing in the latter half of Exodus. That is, he says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to come and live among you. And he tells them to build a place, a tent, really. It's called the tabernacle. I want you to build this place where I will come and reside. Now, it's always kind of interesting when we think about building something for God. We've done that, haven't we? We call this a a house of God. We've built something for God. Folks, the scripture teaches us that God is omnipresent. You just heard that word in the song. He is everywhere present. There's no tent. There's no building that is going to contain or encapsulate God. But God creates a place that represents his presence, that represents his glory. He is everywhere present. What a powerful, what a wonderful truth. It's a truth that encourages us. It's a truth that should also challenge us because he's never not watching. He's never not there. Now, you know, there's a number of religions in the world today that take that truth and really go in a bad direction with it. Your Eastern religions, your New Age movement, they take that truth of God being everywhere present and they say, you know what, God is everywhere present. God is in the tree, therefore, the tree's God. And God is a tree. Some of you might remember Shirley MacLaine saying it, God is in you, therefore, you are God And God is you. That's actually called, if you want like a big fancy word, that's called pantheism. It's all is God, everything is God. That is not the biblical teaching of omnipresence. The Bible says God is everywhere present, but he is distinct from everything. God's in the tree, but God's not a tree. And the tree's not God. God's in you, but you're not God. And God is not you. So God is everywhere present and we haven't built nor is man ever going to build anything that encapsulates him, that contains him. But you know what? God understands our visible, our physical nature. And so he gives us a place that represents his presence, that represents his glory. Now, when it starts off here, because, folks, what we just read is a very unique moment in human history up to this point. Up to this point, God had not dwelt with people on this planet in a visible way like this. This is the very first time as they complete the construction of this tabernacle, God's glory enters it. That's a brand new moment in human history. 
And for several hundred years, it's going to be this tabernacle that represents that. But then God moves. You know, we're not the only one who move. <laughs> we, we're not the only ones that had to move up the street. God moved. Started off in the tabernacle. You see, it, it, had to be, it had to be mobile because they're mobile. They're moving around. They don't have a permanent land yet. So this tabernacle, a lot of the Jews called it the MWC, the Mobile Worship Center. Now those that lived east of the Jordan called it the THG, the Traveling House of God. But it had to move. But now, once they got into the promised land and Jerusalem was established, then they built, you remember, Solomon's temple, the permanent structure. So God moved out of the tabernacle and His glory filled that temple. And that was an awesome, awesome moment. But then, in the New Testament, God moves out of the tabernacle, God moves out of the temple, and guess where God moves next? He moves into you. The presence of God now is no longer represented by a building. It's represented by his people. You, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Don't you know? Gosh, we forget. We forget. We carry this body into all kinds of places, into all kinds of situations that are unworthy. Don't you know? You are God's sanctuary. The Spirit of God is in you. We're the temple. We're the tabernacle now. But you know, even with that truth, the New Testament says we're to get all these temples together. We're to get all these sanctuaries together. The, the scripture commands that believers, we gather in a house in a particular place. You and I call it the what? The church. And you know what? When you and I come together, the glory of God is to be seen in the exact same way that we see it right here. When it filled this temple. Let me tell you something. The tabernacle was not what the tabernacle was supposed to be when it, it completed construction. It was what it was supposed to be when the glory of God entered it. And I'll tell you that the tabernacle was awesome. The temple was even more awesome. Would you believe the temple in the Old Testament cost probably three or four times what it cost to build this place? And I'm not talking about after 3,000 years of inflation. I'm saying it cost more to build. Very ornate. Very beautiful. But folks, it was not the gold or the bronze or the cedar. It wasn't any other material that made the tabernacle or the temple special. You know what made it special, don't you? Is when the glory of God entered it. That's what makes this life special. When God enters, it's what makes this room special is when God enters it. It is awesome to be in the presence of God. Do you know that everything, that's a big word, isn't it? Everything you are looking for is found in the presence of God. Whatever you're looking for today, whatever you're missing, whatever you're hurting, whatever you want added, it is found in the presence and the worship of God. It's awesome to be in his presence. And that's why I have a prayer. I pray. I usually start about Friday morning. And I pray it all weekend long. I try not to be redundant or repetitive before the Lord. But I'll tell you something. I bet I've prayed almost the same words every single weekend I've been a pastor. And this is my prayer. God, would your glory enter that place? Would your glory and your presence fill that building? Would your glory and presence fill our lives? And then I always pray. And God... May we respond to it. Folks, it's a special thing to be in God's presence. 
but you just can't stand there and stare. I pray we respond, whether it be with repentance or obedience or with faith, with commitment. However, God, you need us to respond. Lead each one. It won't be the same for every one of us. God, lead us to respond to being in your presence. And you know what? I think God answers that prayer for me. I know when I'm out talking with people who've been to our church, I think the single most common thing I hear is I felt the glory of God. I felt God's presence when I was in that church. Man, yeah, and it's good to be there, isn't it? It's good to be in God's presence. But I want you to notice something very important about our passage today. To me, this is the whole point of the passage. When God's glory entered the tabernacle, the direct result was not everybody felt good. The direct result was not, oh man, I, I got a lift for the week in front of me. That was not the result. When God's glory filled that tabernacle, the result was the leadership of God in their lives. When they interacted with His presence, that presence told them when to stay, that presence told them when to move. Folks, when we enter this room, it's not just to say, oh, doesn't it feel good to be in God's presence? When we enter this room, it is to be led by that presence. You know what? When people enter this building, they need to see the glory of God. But almost just as important is that they see you and me responding to it. That they see you and me being led by that glory, being led by that presence of God. And we're not here, folks, just to feel good. We're here to follow our Savior. We're here to follow our King. You know, there are ways that you and I anticipate and, and expect people to see God's glory, isn't there? I think probably every one of us, we, we believe, we expect that they're going to see God's glory as our choir and as our orchestra lead us in worship. Don't you think they're going to see God's glory in that? Man, I, if you didn't see it today, your wood's wet. Man, yeah, that's what we expect. You know, I, I think we anticipate that they're going to see God's glory as His Word is preached and taught from the pulpit to the nursery, from the worship center to the classroom. These are kind of some of the standard ways. But folks, listen to me. While God will show His glory through those things, God also wants to show His glory through you. Through me? Well, I'm just sitting here. What's He going to do through me? Man, God, folks, God wants this whole community, this whole world to see his glory through you and I as we relate with one another, as we love one another, as we come in here and worship together, as we serve and minister through everything we do. It ought to show God's glory. Did you know God's glory is seen not just in what we do, but even in what we don't do? You know, it's interesting. You can go back to Exodus and Numbers in particular. And there is a place where God more than once Removes his glory. Where God's glory backs up from Israel. You know when it is? When they murmur. You know what I'm talking about? You know when one person gets upset? One person doesn't like the way things are being done or the way something worked out or, or what was done. And it's not enough that they sit and stew in their own sin. Then they've got to come over here and they've got to start stirring up a couple others. We've we got to get some others going. That happened several times. Did you know, listen to me folks, God hates that. Listen to me, the murmurer might be right. 
that the thing the murmurer is complaining about might actually be right. But God hates that activity. And His glory, His presence literally departs from that. Do you realize what I just described is probably the single most significant problem in the church in America today? You say, how do you know that? One simple thing. When people tell you why they don't like the church, what do they say? They're always fighting up there. So when people go into church, they're not going to experience the glory of God. Folks, I hope you're never under the delusion because the sign out front says church that God is there that morning. God does not owe a building his presence because it says church out front. God's glory departs when there's murmuring and division. He hates that. So see, people are going to see his glory in things we do. They're going to see his glory in things that we don't do in this church. Boy, folks, if I could get everybody to believe one thing today, it would be this. You are going to stand before God. And you, you as an individual, are going to be responsible for whether they saw God's glory or not when they entered this place. I pray so much that you believe that, that you take that serious, that you understand that. Let me real quickly give you six things, six things that we need to do. I think commitments we all need to make if I as an individual am going to be a conduit by which God's glory can pour and come through. Number one, I need to follow Christ. I need to follow Christ. That's what we are, folks. We're followers of Jesus Christ. More than any other title, more than any other way of explaining us. What's a Christian? He or she is a follower of Jesus Christ. That very simply means when I go to school, when I go to the office, when I go into my marriage, when I go into my finances, I am trying to look, act, talk, and think like Jesus. You say, well, when I'm at home trying to do that, nobody up here is going to see that. Folks, i got news for you. When you live like devil at the home, you're not going to come in here and become a conduit for God's glory. For one hour a week. It's not going to happen. I've got to be committed to his glory being seen through me everywhere in everything. And that's when I follow Christ. Listen, nobody brought more glory to the father than the son. So the more you and I look like the son, the more glory they're going to see. And you know what? You and I cannot follow Christ without being regularly in prayer, regularly in the Bible and regularly in his house with his people. Have you ever heard somebody say, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian? If you've heard somebody say that, raise your hand. We just had a unanimous vote. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You know what? That's the truth. You do not have to go to church to be a Christian. But you absolutely, beyond a shadow of doubt, have to go to church to grow and live as a Christian. You will never grow and you will never live as a believer before God, not being involved with his people in his house. That's what Jesus said. I need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You know what I need to do? I need to worship. Folks, if they're going to see his glory, we need to worship with all of our heart. Folks, that means when we come in here, our love for Christ, our passion for Christ, it needs to come out in everything that we're doing. Now, let me tell you something. I'm not talking about coming in here and pasting on a big plastic smile and acting like everything's okay when it's not okay. Woohoo! I'm a Christian. Everything's wonderful. Hey, you know what? It's not always wonderful, is it? I'm not talking about coming in here and being fake. I'm talking about, you know what? When I get out of the car... And I'm walking across the parking lot. <laughs> and folks, when you walk across the parking lot, you got a lot of time to pray. 
And that's good. So now as I get out of my car and I'm walking the door, I say, God, you know what kind of week I've had. You know what kind of mood I'm in. God, would you just help me set that down for a second? Because when I enter that building and I gather with your people, I want my love for you to come out. God, I've got no energy this morning. I'm dead tired. I'm in a bad mood. But I pray there would be an energy in the way I sing, in the way I give, in the way I love, in the way I interact. God, may a passion and a worship for you come out. Third thing we need to do is we need to love one another. Folks, if they don't see us loving one another, I promise you they will not see God's glory. And that means as I'm walking across the parking lot, you can see I'm trying to make the best out of this parking lot, can't you? After I pray about that other thing, now I'm going to pray, God, when I enter that door, show me who to love. It might be a stranger. It might be my best friend. It might be somewhere in between there. But God, would you show me who to love? And would you show me how to love them? Who and how? Who and what? God, I want to, I want to love people when I enter that place. A fourth thing we need to do is we need to pray. Folks, I need to go back to what I said before. We need to pray. God's glory fills this place. It doesn't happen because there's a sign out front. It doesn't happen just because we turn the lights on. Folks, every day you enter this building, pray, God, would your glory fill that place and every life in that room? And the next thing you need to pray is, and God, may we respond. May we respond when we're in your presence. May we respond when we experience your presence. And lastly, we need to be a faithful member of the family. Do you know the entire character of God? We sang about it this morning. The entire character of God is faithfulness. God is faithful. Well, is His glory going to pour through me if I'm unfaithful? If I'm unfaithful to Him, if I'm unfaithful to His family? Now, folks, it's a whole other sermon series to talk about what a faithful church member looks like. But, I, guys, it's, you know, it's simple things, isn't it? I'm here. I worship. I serve. I give. I'm a faithful member of this home and of this family. What would happen if 1,500 of us began thinking about this, preparing for this, praying this way? What would happen if 1,500 of us approached the building that way next week and the week after that, and we did that every week leading up to grand opening? What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. The glory of this building, and folks, this building is glorious. I think this building is awesome. You may find something wrong, but you stupid. I'll tell you something. The glory of this building will pale in comparison to the glory of God that they see in us. That's what God's plan is. And that's what will impact this world and our community for Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Will you be preparing? Because God wants to know what you are going to do with this building. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as you have been faithful to us, May we be faithful to you. And Lord, we know there is no possible way to be faithful to you. Without being faithful to our spiritual family, to the church. God, we want this place to be special, not because of how much we spent, not because of how many people we have here, because that won't make it special at all.
And we want this place to be special because you're here. And God, as people enter this room and they see you and they experience you, may they look around and may they see the family of Colonial Heights Baptist, which is not a mass, it's individuals, it's people, one by one, responding to their Savior and to their King. Give us the faith, the courage to follow you. God, for, may this building forever be a place that is filled with, that shows the glory of God and his people respond to. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.